Hey, guys, I'm so excited to have Ronnie Doss with us tonight via video from uh, his home in Phoenix, Arizona. Ronnie is a great friend. He's a great leader. Um, he has, uh, God's opened the doors for him to coach some of the uh, most influential organizations in our country and, uh, and to be able to speak into people's lives that are at the top of some of those organizations. And one of the things I love about Ronnie is the fact that he doesn't have to do things like he's doing tonight. Um, he doesn't need to, but he chooses to because he loves, loves leaders, and so I'm so grateful for him. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take some time. He's going to share his heart with us, uh, talk through some leadership principles, and then uh, here in just a little bit, we'll, he'll open it up, and we'll just do some Q&A with him. So uh, if you guys don't mind, please welcome Ronnie Doss. It sounds good. Good well, to see you guys. Here, let hey, me Mel. turn that um, down for yeah. you. Oh, hey, there's everybody. Hey, everybody. Hey. The, uh, this is the new, uh, this is the new uh, platform for meeting people across the world. You know, a few, a, a few years ago, I, we were, I was being asked to go speak so much, and, and obviously I've been, been there with, with Mel and, and you guys there at the church many times, but uh, when COVID happened, it was like, everybody's like, oh, we got to, we've got to shift now to this, uh, virtual model, remote model. And, um, we had been doing that for probably three or four years. I got asked to, uh, speak at a network of business owners years ago. It was about six years ago. And after they heard me, they, they invited me to come back. And then I went back again and they're doing this event a couple of times a year. And then a lot of the people in the business, uh, in that network who, who had businesses asked me to start coaching them. Well, they were all over the country. And so we started doing these Zoom sessions. I mean, just like this, uh, we would do Google Hangout, we would do um, Zoom, we would do now Microsoft Teams, all these different platforms. And um, I just did a, a virtual training for NASA, which was cool at Kennedy Space Center. I've been to Kennedy Space Center many times, but I, they asked me to do a virtual thing. And, and they said, hey, have you ever done the virtual trainings? And I'm like, as a matter of fact, I do about 20 or 30 of them a week. And so this is kind of the new platform. And so I love doing this. I love being able to do this. Uh, but the reason that I'm doing it is because I just love mail. I think mail is one of the most genuine and authentic leaders that I have ever met in my life. And I mean that we met probably seven years ago, six or seven. And I just, it, he impressed, he impressed me. And it was really neat. You know, you get to meet people who you think are really cool, but then you get to know them and they're not quite as cool. Uh, the more I've gotten to know Mel, the more I appreciate him and his genuineness. And he's gotten he's gotten just cooler and cooler in my world. And so um, I spend a majority of my time doing leadership development. So uh, I grew up in church. Uh, I did. Uh, but then I started getting asked to go do corporate trainings, leadership development. I worked for a guy that owned a leadership development company. I worked for him for almost five years. And then he passed away. And it was very rude of him to do that. But uh, we, none of us were ready for that. But he passed away. And when he did... I was at this crossroads. It was like, okay, am I going to go back to the entrepreneurial world and do what I used to do? I used to have a real estate company and that was the world that I was really focused on. Or am I going to stick with this leadership development thing and, and believe that I could make a career and build a business out of it and so forth. And it was guys, it was, it was terrible. I mean, it was awful in the beginning. Like I, we, my wife, I don't know how we made it and it, it was tough, but then I just, kept putting one foot in front of the other. And my wife kept supporting me and saying, Hey, let, let's stay at it. You can do it. You can do it. And then one thing led to the other. And the next thing, you know, I get invited to go speak to this company and another company. And then, uh, NASA, someone at NASA saw me that happened. And then that just kind of started opening the doors for more, uh, more things. And so now, uh, I've trained participants in 11 different countries. And that's pretty cool for someone who uh, in the beginning wasn't sure if I would be able to do this or not. Um, but it's been such a wonderful ride. And what I have learned in all this, guys, after doing, gosh, I'm sure thousands of leadership sessions now. I mean, um, the last six, seven years, um, really traveling quite a bit. But then this virtual stuff, uh, I've landed on quite a few things as far as leadership and really what personal development means. Because I think that if you wanna be a leader, you gotta lead yourself really well. And so that's been the focus for me. It's like, if I can focus on myself and making sure that I'm doing the things that I know I need to do, then when the opportunity comes for me to be able to speak or to influence or to coach or to mentor or to go speak at an event or a church or wherever, 
then I'm going to be prepared. And sometimes people will ask, like, Ronnie, how long does it take you to get ready for a message or a leadership session? And usually my response, it's a neat little thing that I heard years ago, was that if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. And I, I prepare. I mean, I've got notes here for you guys, a few things that I want to share with you. But my life is really about staying ready. And I think that as a leader, someone who wants to make an impact, someone that wants to go on our job and our businesses with our teams, our families, in our communities, I think we need to stay ready. And staying ready means that I'm, I maximize the time in between the high points. I think when, when I first started, I used to think that the platform was going to be the thing that made me successful, that if I got invited to this platform and I got to speak here, or if I got to go work with this team, that would make me successful. And what I've found is that those things are really supplemental to the fundamental principle that my life is mine and that I've got to take myself on. And I have this quote that I've been sharing with a lot of teams lately, and that is that, that no one can save you from yourself if you're not willing to work on yourself. Nobody can save you from yourself if you're not willing to do the work. And so teams that I get to coach, people that I get to work, I've got some teams that I have worked with every two weeks, like twice a month for now almost six years. And I know those teams well, and they're in different industries. I got pharmaceutical companies, I got real estate companies, I got chiropractic offices, I've got Fortune 100 teams, I've got nonprofits, I got all these teams. But here's the thing that I realized is that I can offer these teams and these individuals, because teams are made up of individuals, I, I can offer these teams and individuals this tool bag, so to speak, of insights and, and wisdom, if you want to call it that. Uh, but the individual, which would be you now that I'm speaking to you, just like as I always speak to myself, we've got to be willing to take the tool bag with us to the job site. And the job site is where you're doing your work. The job site is where you're, you're working on your marriage. Your job site is where you're working on your physical health. Your job site is where you're working on your spiritual health. Your job site is where when you go to your company, that's your job, your, your, your coworkers, your team. That's where you have to take the tool bag. And the more tools you have in your tool bag, the easier it is for you to do the job well. And when I think of the job, I'm thinking of life in general. And so what I'll do is I'll give you maybe five things here. And then we can do a little Q&A at the end. And I know um, Mel's going to kind of facilitate that or moderate that. But I'll just give you five things that I've landed on over the past few years that have really helped me to make sure that I'm doing what I'm doing well. And I think these things will help you. So first things first, neat little phrase here. Um, life and leadership are both contact sports. They're contact sports. You guys, you know, it's football season. It's like contact sport. You're going to get hit. Life, you're going to get hit. If you choose to be a leader, you're going to get hit. If you choose to be in, in, in a marriage or relationship, you're going to get hit. Not, hopefully not physically, right? Um, we always make the joke. I know Mel knows this, but my wife teaches kickboxing. or She used to teach kickboxing a lot. She loves to do kickboxing. And she's tough. And I always make the jokes like, yes, yeah, she's tough. Like, that's why I'm always smiling and so polite is because my wife, I, I don't, I don't want to get hit. Right. But she would never hit me. But um, leadership is, is that way. If you step up and say, Hey, I want to do different in my life. I really do want to be someone that influences other people. I want to be someone that people can look to. I don't just want to have insights in my head and, and wisdom in my head. I want to assimilate principles into my life and, and be a leader. If you do that, you're going to get hit and you got to be able to take those hits and businesses have to be able to take hits. They have to look at things that are coming, things that are threats internally, things that are threats externally, and know that if you put yourself out there, you are going to get hit. You know, we always say if you can't handle the stress, you're probably not going to be able to handle the success. So you got to be able to do things to be able to handle the stresses that are going to come your way when you put yourself out there. And if you're afraid to put yourself out there, things are probably not going to change very much for you. And that's okay. It really is. When you choose to step up into a role of leadership, when you go back to your job or if you have a, a business that's yours or uh, you're serving anywhere in the community, uh, you go back to your family. When you decide to step up and say, hey, we want to do some things differently here, not everybody is going to agree with you and not everybody's going to understand. And, you know, uh, Mel said here in Phoenix, my wife and I, we just moved a year ago out here. We lived just outside Phoenix, Arizona in Scottsdale, Arizona. And we live in Scottsdale, love it out here. Uh, this, the, the summer was unbelievably hot. I had friends that told me, if you move there, it's gonna be the greatest decision you ever made, but there's gonna be a few months where you're gonna wonder what in the heck did we do this for? 
Uh, it's been that way for the last few months, but now it's starting you know, to cool down and, and it's wonderful. But this, this decision to move to this place was something that my wife and I decided we were going to do. But by stepping out and doing that, there was resistance that, that came. There were hits that came. Um, as soon as we got here, one of my closest friends passed away. He was 40 years of age, got a phone call from his wife. She says, hey, um, Matthew's in the hospital. Uh, he's not feeling well, so I'm going home. I'm going to get some clothes and go back and stay with him. By the time she got back, Matthew had passed away. And this is right when we get here. I mean, it's just right after we get here. Then a week after that, my mother starts not doing well. And so I'm expecting any phone call. It's like any phone call is going to tell my mom something's happened with my mom. Um, and then obviously you guys know whether that through the holidays and in the beginning of the year, this COVID thing happens. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of COVID, um, but this happens. And so there's all this stuff and then other things line up. And I've told my wife is that this must be a sign that we needed to do what we needed to do, because if we hadn't taken the step to move forward at the time that we did, we may still be living where we lived back then. And we lived in Nashville. Nashville is a wonderful city, but we might still be living there. And so I'm like, I'm glad we chose to step up and step out. And we did. And it didn't come without the resistance. And You've got to know that sometimes when, when there's these challenges, as you step out into a role of leadership or making an impact, you can't expect that that path is, is going to be easy. There's an old saying that if you find the path that doesn't have any challenges on it, just know that path doesn't lead to anywhere good. And I have really adopted that. And so my mentor used to tell me, Ronnie, if you step into something and you feel the pressure coming from it, that doesn't mean that you've made the wrong decision. Many times that's simply an indicator that you are on the right path and you've made the right decision. So don't run from the pain. Don't run from the resistance. Don't run from the stresses because if you run from the stress, you wind up running from your potential. And I believe you listen to this, obviously you, you took time to come and to sit there tonight. You could be anywhere, right? You could be anywhere. You've said, Hey, I'm going to be here. You chose to be where you're at because I would bet that you believe there's some potential inside you. And that's a big thing is knowing that, hey, if there's something within me that's going to be expressed, I'm going to have to do it regardless of how difficult it may look. And when you realize you only live once, which losing my friend uh, a year ago reminded me of that. He's younger than me. Uh, Matthew was 40, a few years younger than me. An eight-year-old daughter, Hannah, who's really great friends with my daughter, uh, Addison, who's 11, my daughter, Kennedy, who's seven. Um, it's this indicator that, you know what, you can't take time for granted. This was something I never would have believed happened. And then uh, a month ago, I lost another great friend of mine, our closest friends who were in Nashville, lost another one of them. And so I'm realizing time's not a guarantee. And with that, I'd say, well, if there's something that's going to get done, I'm going to have to be the one to do it. So I'm going to have to step up, even if I feel like there's some contact or some resistance that comes. And so if you're sitting there listening to this and you're writing anything out, you just got to know that life and leadership, both, both of them are contact sports, both of them. Here's the second thing I'll give you. Um, I, I have landed on the idea that there's really three types of people, three types. This is what I've landed on. This is not a meme or a magnet or anything that I've seen stuck on, you know, a wall. You can see memes everywhere. You know, everybody's got a meme. Everybody's got quotes. I heard somebody say one time that the quotes don't work if you don't, you know, you got to work too. So you can have all the great quotes. Um, but here's, here's what I've really landed on. I've learned there's, there's really three types of people. First type of people is the person we would call the thinker. Right. And the thinker is somebody that just sits around and thinks, overthinks and does something we call awfulizing. They take the whatever the scenario is and turn it into the worst case scenario. You've probably done that before, maybe laid in your bed at night. And you're like, you all it's called awfulizing. You just make it more and more awful. Like, oh, gosh, if this happens, then this is going to happen. And then this is going to happen. And then, oh, my gosh, then that will happen. Then you're like, oh, my gosh, is that, oh, the whole thing is going to be awful. And, and the truth is. That's not really the way that it usually is. What normally happens is you, you may feel a little fear, but if you overthink it, it'll paralyze you. You feel the fear, you gotta choose to step in anyway. And so the thinker is the first type of person, just overcritical. And, and I don't know if you guys know this or not, but when you overthink something, you can become very critical of it. I think the reason that we're very critical is because we are based in survival mode, um, which is very fortunate for us. We're still here, it has worked. But the more we think, the more we're looking out for threats, things that we need to worry about. And that can be the thing that when we overthink it, it can actually paralyze us and keep us stuck. So the first type of person is somebody who just 
overthinks everything, thinks all the time. Second type of person um, is what I call the doer. Now you got the thinker who overanalyzes things. The doer is the one that just kind of will jump in and do anything at any time, no matter what. And these are the people to me with the corporate trainings and stuff that I do. These are people that just go in, they clock in to their job or whatever that looks like for them. And they do their work and then they leave and then that's it. And that's, that's great. I mean, doers, obviously very important. You need doers around you. However, um, the doer is very replaceable. That's, that's what I've found on corporate level, because when people are just doing, uh, it, it's very easy to fall into patterns where you're not adapting and, and growing and changing and innovating. And one of the things that I have become, I think, clearer and clearer on is that good today becomes average tomorrow if you're not willing to adapt. And so you could be good at something today, but tomorrow you're average and average then becomes below average because the world is changing and there's so many things happening and there's so many opportunities for us to get better. And many times people aren't doing that. They're just going through the motions. That's the doer. We don't want to be just the doer. Okay. And so um, doer is good, but the doer is very replaceable. The doer is very replaceable. Okay. And so here's the third type of person. And this is the one that I believe that we all want to be. The third type of person is the doer that thinks. And the first type of person was the thinker. Second type of person is the doer. The third type of person is the doer that thinks, which is where they do what's asked of them, but they're thinking about how they can do what they're doing even better the next time. So if you see me six months from now, because I'm a doer that thinks, I should be much better at what I've been doing than I am right now. Because if I'm not, let me tell you how this works. If things don't change for you, if you, you don't uh, see yourself changing and innovating and there's not a newness to what you're doing because you're thinking of new ways to do it, your brain is going to get bored. And when your brain gets bored, motivation leaves. And many times people that I meet and they say, well, I've been doing this job for 10 years or you know, my marriage is this way. And we're just kind of, it's kind of boring. We've settled into this thing and this pattern. And what happens is when you settle into that motivation leaves, you've got to be willing to start saying, hey, wait a minute. I want to be better six months from now than I am right now. I want the marriage to be better. I want my team to be better. I want my physical health to be better. I want my communication skills to be better. I want the way that I connect with people to be better. I want that. So I'm going to do what I do and I'm going to think about it. So the third type of person, this is who I think we all need to be, is the person that's the doer that thinks. Because I don't believe there's anything more replaceable than a person that does without thinking. Somebody that does things without thinking. My mentor, when I worked for him before he passed away, he asked me one time, he said, Ronnie, what's the biggest mistake you've made in the last 30 days? within the company. That's what he asked me. His name was Mr. Clemmer. Mr. Clemmer said, what's the biggest mistake you've made? I said, I don't know that I've made one because I thought that was the answer that he would want to hear. And he said, you haven't made one at all. And I said, well, I can't think of one. Then he says to me, you're probably not the right person for the job. And it, and it floored me. He said, because if you're not pushing the envelope a little bit and doing something differently, then you're very easily replaceable because we've got to be changing. The company's got to change. We've got to adapt and we've got to evolve and we've got to grow and we've got to innovate or else we're just not going to be that relevant in the future. And I've never forgotten that. And then he, after he passed away, I started looking at my life going, well, am I making any mistakes? Am I stretching and trying something new? Or am I letting the fear of what everybody else is going to think keep me from stretching and keep me from being a doer that thinks? And so just, just that maybe that's your new phrase is you're a doer that thinks I'm going to do new things, try new things. And I'm going to think about it while I'm doing it, assess it to see how I can improve. It's those small refinements. Uh, I told a team this morning, it's the small tweaks that lead to the big leaps and everybody wants the big leaps. Everybody wants to see the big change, but it's the small tweaks that we're willing to do every day. I had a mentor of mine back in Atlanta. He used to say that change is a process. It's not a one-time event. And so you've got to be willing to change every day. Look at what you're doing. Read something new. Learn something new. Apply something new. Assimilate something new so that things are different. And um, neat phrase I like to share is information without assimilation is useless. 
You can have all this great information, but if you're not willing to do something with it and then think about it while you're doing it to get better, then at some point, you know, you, you may just be delaying obsolescence in your career, in your field, whatever that could be. And so you want to be the doer that thinks. Here's the third thing. This would be good for you to remember. Surroundings are seductive. Surroundings are seductive. So <clears throat> if you hang out with people that aren't doing anything, aren't pushing the envelope, aren't making it happen, aren't leading, aren't excited, that are not passionate, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get seduced into that way of thinking. And I'm very careful of who I spend my time with. And I tell you that not because I think I am any better than anyone else. I promise you, I grew up in a small town in Mount Airy, North Carolina. It was Mayberry. It really was where Andy Griffith was from. It's no joke. Um, that's where I grew up. And I, I don't forget where I came from. And a small town, love that town. My dad's still there. My mom's close by. My sisters are close by. Um, but what I realized is that for me, I had to keep stepping and trying new things. And after college, I moved to Atlanta and started seeing and being exposed to different things. And you don't have to move physically. You can read books and be exposed, watch videos, podcasts, show up to get information like this. Um, but if you're not exposing yourself to things that keep you thinking and keep you moving, you're going to get seduced into stuck. And it's really easy to allow your surroundings to seduce you into um, thinking the way many other people think. And for me, uh, I'm just not okay with that. I I'm not. I'm not okay with that for me because I think we're going to talk about leadership. I got to lead my family, which means I got to lead my wife. I got to lead my kids. I got to lead myself. My home is, is a reflection. That's a, a, a surrounding that I know that I have to make sure that I am very intentional with because that surrounding then seduces me into a way of thinking. And for me, I want to keep changing. I want to keep growing. And so look around your house, look around your office, look around where you spend a majority of your time. Have you changed the paint on the walls? Have you put up a new picture? Have you got new furniture? You're just rearranging the furniture, whatever. I mean, what can you do to create an environment that causes you to think bigger and better? Because it's important. When we pull out of my neighborhood, you look up onto the hill here in Scottsdale, there are 10,000, 15,000 square feet houses like looking down at you. And it's not like when I grew up in the South, trees were everywhere. So you couldn't really see houses, um, how big they were, unless you were like on the lake because you had a clear view from the lake, the boat out to see them. Um, but here there's just a few rock formations, but there's not a lot of trees. And so you can see these houses. And so in the mornings, if I go out, go out for a drive, I look up, I see these things and they provoke thinking in me to go, wow, Think bigger. Doesn't mean I have to live at the top of the mountain. Doesn't mean I have to have a 10,000 square foot home. But what it does is it provokes thinking in me to say, hey, wait a minute. What could I do to be able to create that if that's what I wanted? If I wanted to create that, how could I do it? And it provokes thinking in me. And so for me, this idea that our surroundings are seductive is unbelievably important. Go home, look at your surroundings, look at your, your office. Look at a picture you could put up, something uh, we call them like a vision board, some things you'd like to create, where you'd like to go, somewhere you take your family, your, your spouse, trips you'd like to go on, a, a, a home, a second home, something. You hear these things and people are like, oh, that's all about worldly possessions. And, you know, money money's not important. Um, it doesn't buy happiness. I hear that all the time. Money doesn't buy happiness. Well, I hear you, but also just know this. Um, money doesn't buy happiness, but it buys a lot of things that can help you and your family to find and experience more happiness. It pays for college, it pays for good health care. it pays for an, a nice home and those kind of things. It does, and doesn't mean you have to have it, but if we provoke our thinking and, and keep ourselves sharp, uh, these kind of things can I almost like seduce us into a bigger way of thinking and produce better. That's helped me a lot uh, because, hey, I, growing up in a small town, I could very easily still live there and be okay, no problem. Um, but I wanted to stretch myself and, and it's been amazing how uh, things have shown up for me just because I kept stretching. And I think if you have a, a, a marriage, if you're married, you got your spouse, you guys should be pushing one another to say, hey, let's think bigger. Let's just see what we can create, right? Keeps it more exciting so that you're reinventing the marriage. You're not staying on the same level that you used to, right? You're always growing because you only get this one life. Here's the, here's the, uh, the fourth thing. Let me give you this. Um, I, this is a term that I want to show you very quickly and um, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I'll show you some science of the brain because our brain is a very interesting thing to understand. 
Um, if you guys look up here on the screen, you see me. If you really focused in on me and you looked at me really intently, um, I would ask you the question, if you're staring at me, do you see your nose? Do you see your nose? And you probably say, well, no, I'm staring at you. I don't really see my nose. The interesting thing, and I learned this concept a few years ago as it pertained to neuroscience, is that your nose is really the closest thing to your eyes and you don't even see it. And the reason that you don't see it is because even though it is there, your brain has decided that the information called your nose, this right here, is not valuable. And so it starts to blur this information out. And so what happens is your brain creates something called a scotoma or a blind spot. And when you decide that something's really not that valuable, your brain actually blurs it out. So when you're reading a book and you say, this book is important, it drowns out all the background noise. You can sit at an airport and read a book, drowns out all the background noise. You can be watching a sermon, Pastor Mel speaking, it's really important to you. Everything else kind of drowns out, it blurs out. This is what our brain does. And so a lot of times people say, well, Ronnie, I just didn't see that. I didn't understand that, but I guess I'm not that smart. And here's what I've clear, clearly landed on is that it's really not about intelligence as far as what gets in. What gets into your brain is not about intelligence. It's about value. And so if you think something is valuable, you see it. If you don't think it's valuable, you don't see it. For example, let me give you this. My wife was um, needed to, being here in Arizona, she needed to go get her tag and, uh, for her car. And you know, when you go get your tag, you gotta go get your emissions test thing. You gotta get that. And so she's like, I don't know where any emissions test places are. And I was like, okay. She goes, well, I'm gonna go work out and then I'll Google it and find it. And then I'll get it done. And I was like, okay, no problem. She pulls up at the gym where she's going to work out um, a lot. And she texts me and goes, oh my gosh, you're not gonna believe it. Across the parking lot, there's an emissions testing place. And I said, well, wow, isn't that crazy? I said, you haven't seen it because it hasn't been important to you until today. You see, you overlook things in your life. I overlook things in my life that aren't important. But the moment I decide that something's going to be important to me, like stretching for a new goal, uh, meeting a new outcome, something that I want to have, uh, making my relationship better. When I decide that really that's the goal, that's what's important, what happens is I start to see resources that I didn't know were there before. And so it's not about how smart you are. So stop telling yourself, well, I can't do uh, these things that I've kind of my dreams. I can't do that because I'm not smart enough. That, that's, that's an argument that is not true. You're making that up. You see, when you start saying something's important, if you have to get from point A to point B, if you know you've got to make that happen, you will find all the ways to get to point B and you'll find all the resources in there that are available for that. Okay, so just know that scotomas, blind spots. So the question would be is maybe what are you blind to right now because you've said your goals are not that important to you anymore. I think, it's, I think it's not true. I think they are important to you. If you dial them back up and say, hey, my personal growth, my physical health, my relationship, my money, whatever it is for you, I don't know, my spiritual, it's important again, you're gonna, the blind spots are gonna start to fall off and you'll start seeing things that maybe you hadn't seen, maybe you've overlooked. Here's the last thing, and Mel, we, we can be done here. This is for somebody, I, I threw this one on as number five because this one has been very real for me. Uh, authenticity does not require a response. Authenticity doesn't require a response. And what that means is if you will choose to be yourself, if you will choose to go for the things that are important to you, that are authentically you, an expression of you, if you and your spouse talk about it, like, man, this is what we want. If you choose to go for that, and that is authentically you, it doesn't matter who claps for you or not, because there's going to be a lot of people that will not. They don't even know how to celebrate you. They don't, they don't even know what to say. I got invited to go down to Dallas Cowboy headquarters not long ago. And I got to tour the facilities and do some training there for one of the teams. And, and it was really cool. And we put it on social media and some of the people that, that I, I didn't know well started sending messages like, oh man, I'd love to go with you if that could ever happen. But people that I, I did know, I, I think that I thought would probably say, man, that's amazing. I don't even think it comp they could comprehend that I got invited to go work with a professional sports team. And I had to realize that not everybody's gonna celebrate you, but I'm not living for applause. If you live for applause, you die when it gets quiet. So be you, lead you really well, decide what's important for you, set that as your priority, your goal, go for it. And I believe in the end, you'll have all the applause you want. And at that point, it probably won't even matter to you at all anyway, uh, but you'll have done some good work. So there's about half an hour uh, uh, Pastor, so hope that was cool for you. Hope that was okay. Hope you guys got a little something out of that because no, uh, I, I think, enjoyed talking to you. No, I think it's great. Thanks, Ronnie. Uh, we're going to 
do some questions, and uh, we've got a mic up here that people can come up to and ask their question. I, I, let me let me ask this though, just to get started. Um, uh, a lot of the people in the room that are watching this are leaders, and they're people that lead teams. And I know for me personally, one of the biggest struggles that I've had is leading people who have small vision and helping them expand their vision. You talked about it a little bit, like you know, uh, when you talked about who you surround yourself with. So when you know, hey, I, I know my surroundings are off, but I'm trying to help the people around me see bigger and dream bigger and go bigger, what would you say would be an important thing for us to do as leaders when we're trying to lead in that? Okay. Um, I can give you a few things. I can share with you some quotes and, and all that. I think the first thing that any of us as leaders have to remember is that everybody that we're dealing with is part of the human condition. And I think one of the things that is the mark of a really great leader is empathy. And when, when you can feel that people struggle, when you feel that people are, are dealing with challenges you don't know anything about, when you know that people are struggling, whether it be because, you know, I, I can go talk to people, a team, and I got, you know, 20 people in the room, all different ones, the head of HR, the other person is the head of marketing, the director of sales or, or whatever. Sometimes it's, I want to share these things and people, you know, I'm like, everybody needs to respond the same and they need to just get it. But what I realized, guys, is that, that everybody's dealing with something. And I think the best way to lead someone is to connect first. And here's the neat phrase that, that I believe will help you. Um, always think connection before correction. Even with your kids, spouse, whoever, if there's something you got to say that you think is going to correct something, wonderful. Connect with the person first. Feel the, the, the fact that they're human, knowing that they're going to make mistakes, knowing they're going to screw it up. Love them anyway. And then lead by example, because your vision is, is clear of where it is that you want to go. Sometimes you have to, I, I told someone this this morning, you, you have to conform to where someone is at long enough to get traction, to then take them forward to where you want them to go. You have to be willing to feel where they're at. You can't just look at them and go, nope, let's go right now. Because over time, you wind up spinning people sideways and you leave them behind. That's not leadership. Some people think, well, they're a leader, but it's the old saying, as a John Maxwell quote, John Maxwell used to say, well, yeah, you're, you think you're leading, but really you're just out on a walk by yourself. And, and we don't want to be that. And so I think it's important, uh, Mel, to, to connect, to feel, and to have empathy for people, human condition, um, and then the other thing is understanding that vision, as you said, that, that really just having vision isn't enough, that that has to be combined with what I would say is venture. It's, it's combining vision with venture, um, that, that you can't just stare at the staircase and hope that your team is going to climb it with you. Uh, you've got to be the one to start putting one foot in front of the other and climb the staircase yourself. So uh, it, it's not just enough to, uh, to see the steps you got to step up yourself. And I think when you do that as a leader, people finally go, oh, uh, he or she, they're, they're serious about this thing. Like they're very serious and they care about me. So you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk this path uh, with them. And I have found that the greatest leaders, the guys that I get to, to work with, and I'm not going to name drop the companies, but there's some pretty cool company. Um, I have found that the guys that really know how to get it done, the, the, the women that really know how to make this thing happen is that they lead with a vision and they're passionate enough about it to do the work themselves. They're not just trying to tell somebody else what to do. They're doing it themselves. They lead by example. They inspire by example. Um, that's so important. And then understanding that not everybody's going to move at the same pace that you do just because different personalities, different attitudes, different baggage, different backgrounds. But over time, if you can be venturous with your vision and step up and lead by example, um, people will follow as well. And they will. People want to follow a leader. People follow vision more than they will follow need. If, if you look like somebody that just needs somebody to follow you, just needs somebody on the team, that's one thing. But when you can speak to people and go, no, this is really where we're headed. This is what I'm going to do to be the example for it. Would you love to come on board and step in with me? I have found that a majority of the time, people will, and they'll give you the better version of themselves because you've chosen to see that better version in them and treat them with honor and respect accordingly, knowing that, hey, we are really all in this together. And we are. And when you lead that way, I don't think you leave as many people behind because people want to be on board. And whether that's a big corporate team, a small team, small business, family, 
um, leading by example and understanding that everybody else has struggles as well is, is to me is, is huge. And the best leaders I think understand that for sure. That's really good. Um, I'll open it up to the uh, room. If you've got questions, please just feel free to come up to the mic. And, uh, and I know a couple of you probably have questions. Michael, do you want to grease the wheel? Go ahead. So uh, you said that your business was slow and difficult at first. What kind of encouragement or correction would you give yourself back then, knowing what you know now? Yeah. So what would I kind of like, what would I say to myself in a way? And what would I, because I get that question quite a bit. Uh, first things first is um, I, I would say uh, be patient with yourself. And that is uh, don't, don't, don't be so critical of you in the beginning. I think you have only so much creative energy. And if the energy that you're using, uh, instead of being creative and, and really uh, using it for the vision of what's possible, if you're not careful, you can use all that creative energy and you can empty your tank of creative energy, uh, finding ways to criticize yourself. So you're using the energy, but you're using it to criticize versus uh, to compel. And I, I wanna, I think now when I get up in the mornings, instead of criticizing where I'm not at, I wanna talk about where I can go, compel myself to go there and then be patient with me. I wanna handle myself with care. Uh, one of the things that I wrote down uh, a day or two, just on a pad here, is that we have to learn to love ourselves into the next level. And that is where uh, if I first, when I first got started, if I would have loved myself better, if I would have taken care of myself a little better, taking care of my mind a little better, uh, feed, uh, fed myself things that were going to cause me to honor me. Um, not, not from an arrogance in any way that like, oh, you know, an entitlement, but more of a consideration and compassion. I think if you can love yourself from that place, you, you're, you're neutral of the negativity. And I think there's where you become more and more creative. Like um, if you sit out by, uh, for me, like I was like, I love to sit out and back and living in Scottsdale, pretty much Arizona. Most people have pools because it gets so hot, but I can sit out by the swimming pool and, and just allow myself to kind of decompress from things. I become very creative at night, you know, working at NASA it reminded me years ago when I got to go to Kennedy Space Center, the stars like they were so big and, I, and, and so easy for us to look down sometimes and not look up and realize, man, there's a big picture out there. There's a lot going on. Um, I think sometimes it's really easy to get so down on yourself because things haven't happened fast enough that you start looking down. And when you look down, you don't look up and you don't see the possibilities. And I think starting out, one of the things I would have done is definitely been kinder to myself, but I would also have seen the, the, the horizon beyond the horizon, which is reminding myself what this could look like when I'm successful. What's it going to be like? How would I be able to uh, maybe do a little better financially. How would I be able to do a little, be able to enjoy uh, time with my family a little better, have a little more free time? How would I feel my physical health was a little better? Um, what, what would that look like? And then having that vision and that visual, it, it gives you this kick of chemicals and emotions where you feel better and you don't feel so down. So um, I think I would have been kinder to myself in the beginning. I would have only added things to my brain that were going to cause me to, to feel good about me. Um, I would have been a little more patient with it. Uh, they always say patience is a weapon that causes deception to reveal itself. And I think sometimes we live with this deception that things are supposed to happen fast. And I don't think that they, they do. I think sometimes if something can happen really quickly, it may not be that valuable. Um, good things do take time, but if you'll settle into the process in time, you get the prize, but uh, be kind to yourself along the way. Uh, I think that's what I would have said to myself for sure in the very beginning. And uh, I've learned to do that now a little more 11 years into this kind of thing that I've, I've done and I'm enjoying the journey much more. And um, I, I think that, that um, I think that's very important. It's important for the people that you're around. If you're in a better space, they get a better version of you. So uh, take care of you, take care of yourself. Well, that's really that's good. It. Yeah, that's <laughs> really good. Who else? Okay. So this is an oddly worded question. Uh, if you're an immature leader that gets more mature as a leader, how do you deal with the people around you that knew you when you were as an immature leader? And how do okay. you deal with them not understanding what you're doing and how you're changing and why you're doing it? This, this is uh, not that I get asked that question specifically a lot, but I get asked that type of question pretty often. And, you know, it's what do you do when you start growing and maybe other people aren't growing at that pace or, or that they don't see it? 
Um, I, I, I believe that the most important thing that you can do is, is to be really vulnerable uh, and authentic um, and let people know that, you know, you don't, you don't have all the answers, but you are in a place where you're, you're willing to grow and to learn more. And that if they would be open to standing in that space as well, then you can all grow together. Uh, there's an old saying that we're not saved by what we know. Uh, we're saved by our willingness to learn from what we don't know yet. And I think that's a context for a team. I think it's a context for a family is that, hey, you know, we've been doing things for so long this way, and that is wonderful. This is what got us to here. And right now we are at a place where we can choose and we can choose to step up our game just a little bit. We can choose to learn and innovate and tweak. Uh, we can do that or we can choose to keep doing things the way that we've always done them. And one of the one of the phrases that I've shared over the years many times is that there's a difference between growth and delayed obsolescence. And delayed obsolescence is where a team, they, they think they're growing because they just are working harder and harder and harder at what they've already always done. And so they may not necessarily be growing, they're just delaying some form of obsolescence in the future. And so we wanna make sure that we're growing as a team. And so that means that we can have the conversations that need to be had about things that might matter and allow feedback. And I, I say it like this, feedback is the breakfast of champions. Some people run from it, some people invite it, but I think as a leader, you want feedback and you wanna create an atmosphere and environment, whether, whether it's one-to-one -one or in a meeting of one-to-three or one-to-five, you start nurturing a context and, an, and a culture within the team where we could talk about changes that could happen and we don't take it so personal. You know, we always say, give your personal best, but don't take it personal. And if you can create a culture within your family where, you know, I'm asking my wife all the time, is there something I could do better? And I mean that. I ask, is there something you see I don't see? Is there something I can do better? And usually she's like, no, babe, you're doing great. But if she says, well, you know, you, you did this the other day or I noticed this, I'm going to listen to that. I'm not going to take it personal and get all upset. I'm going to do it for the sake of making our team, our family better. I do that with the people that help me to do what it is that I do. It's like, hey, if there's something that you see that I don't, let's, let's talk about that. Being vulnerable and saying, hey, I don't have all the answers. I think that's a real great connection point. And, and then just letting them know well, from this place, we want to keep changing and keep growing. And, and I'm into this personal development thing, not because I think I'm better than anyone else. I'm into it because I want to be a better version of myself so I can be better for other people. And I think if you'll infuse that thought, that idea into your conversations over time, it's not going to change everything overnight, but it can start to mold and fashion a future for you as a team um, that'll be healthier and make things a lot better. Um, that's what I see on every level. And I think that some teams do it well, some do it, don't do it as well. But over time, if they start infusing that concept of, hey, let's grow together, um, we don't have it all figured out right now. Some people say, well, I've been on the job 10 years. I got 10 years seniority. And it's like, yeah, but really they don't have 10 years on the job. They have one year they've done on the job. They've just done it 10 times over and over again. Uh, there's no room for that when it comes to growing into what I think is going to be next for us in our companies, businesses, uh, ministries, uh, whatever that may be. So that's a great, great question. Um, but, you know, you don't have all the answers. I don't either. Uh, but you, you've got to be willing to look at what maybe you don't know, get some feedback, not take it personal and grow from it. So, yeah. Mel's is good, bud. I know we're yeah. right at probably time, so I don't want to keep you guys longer than you need to be. Well, um, let me, I talk about this stuff all night, but yeah, anyway. let me, let me uh, ask you this real quick, Ronnie. Uh, you're somebody who's continually growing as a leader. Um, what are some, what are some things you're reading or some things you're listening to or some things you're doing to stay sharp as a leader? Um, well, I listen to my own podcast cause that guy is so good. That was funny. That's a joke. That's a joke. I listen to my own podcast. You know, you know, when you listen to your own podcast, taking notes, you're like, man, that guy's really good. Um, uh, you know, listening to different things, uh, Mel, for me, I I'll tell you what has changed my life substantially. Um, I attack my morning very, very early and I attack it well. I heard a quote that says, how you attack your morning is how you attack your life. I get up early. Um, I have some teams that I start with, you know, Pacific time, what they like saying is just change here in Arizona, but 
Um, I have teams that I'm up at 445 in the morning. I got a camera in my face working with them. Um, that busyness that early is a blessing because I get my day started early. Um, one of the things that helps me has helped me the most is, is getting up and attacking my day early, taking on my physical health, whether that's a 10 minute workout, a 20 minute workout or an hour workout. I'm always doing something to make sure that I keep my body strong because man, what, what happens to our bodies when we're not moving, we become toxic in a way. It's just like water. If you're not moving the water, we're made up of water. If you're not moving, it, it can start to build up contaminants, bacteria. We can become kind of toxic without that movement and motion. Uh, I'm taking care of my physical body. Um, and, and then as far as reading, man, uh, Mel, I'm, I've got, um, I got so many books I'm in the middle of that are laying around. I got a stack of four or five of them there um, on my desk that are in front of them. I got them on my nightstand um, in my uh, bedroom. Uh, a book that I, I'll tell you really has spoken to me. Uh, we're talking leadership and it seemed like there was a slant towards teams. Um, there, there's a book by Pat Riley who coached uh, um, the, the New York Knicks. And, and he, it was called um, The Winner Within. And it's a, it's a, a book on sports and teams. Uh, I, I read a book by recently and went back to it. Phil Jackson, who coached the LA Lakers, but he coached the Chicago Bulls when they were winning. It was called uh, 11 Rings. Um, and the, it's the idea of teamwork and mindset and all the things that we can do to be better. Uh, you know, those books. And then, you know, as far as podcasts, man, there's so many out there. I would recommend going on your iPhone. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, um, iHeartRadio. You can type in Ronnie Doss and you'll get tons of episodes. We, I don't know how many episodes we have. Some of them are 10 minutes, some of them are 30 minutes or longer, but plenty of information there on mine. So just type in my name, R-O-N-N-I-E-D-O-S-S, uh, Ronnie Doss, and we got plenty of stuff you can listen to there. And we got people all over the world sending us messages saying they love our podcast. So um, we have that as well. So yeah, there's a, there's a few books, there's some podcasts and um, yeah, your, I know your you've physical got some, body. You're too nice to say this, but you've got some paid resources that you have on your website as well. If, if somebody yeah. is interested in some of your paid resources, uh, where would they need to find some of that stuff? Um, you, RonnieDoss.com is our video resources. You can buy all these programs if you want to show them to your teams. We got, I don't know how many are on their mail, 10 different ones. Some of them are pricier um, because they're year-long subscriptions to half-hour videos for corporate stuff. Um, those, you can go on to like Amazon, type in Ronnie Doss, my books, a couple of books will come up, Leading Lions. Then I have a book, um, Dig, that I don't know if y'all can see behind me there. It's mm -hmm. the newest book, but uh, my first book, Leading Lions, uh, is available on Amazon. That's the, that I wrote that based on the work that I had done with NASA and some of the things I shared. Um, yeah, so I got books, resources there, and then uh, um, my website also, which is my last name, Doss, Doss Team, T-E-A-M.com. So RonnieDoss.com is all my video resources. DossTeam.com has got some other uh, stuff on there, but you can also Amazon.com has got my books and stuff. So, so yeah. you're, all, you're all over the place. I'm trying to be. Well, Ronnie, hey, thank you so, so much for uh, taking time with us tonight. We really do appreciate it. Can we tell Ronnie how much we appreciate him tonight? Thank you. Ronnie, God bless you, man. I appreciate you, and we'll be talking to you soon. Yeah, thanks so much, man. I'll talk to you guys later. Good night. Right. See you. Well, guys, thank you for being here tonight. Um, we got a few minutes before 8, but uh, anything else? I mean, Ronnie obviously is on a whole other plane from me as far as leadership. And let me just tell you guys this for the record, too. I said this that Ronnie doesn't have to come talk to us, uh, and I'm so honored that Ronnie would because, I mean, he's literally, if you're familiar with uh, BlackRock Financial, uh, Mike, he doesn't publicize that he coaches their executives, but he does. He texted me one day about a year ago, and he, was, he just said, guess where I am? And I said, I don't know. And he took a picture of their logo, their corporate logo. He was about to meet with their CEO um, that he got it opened up a door. And so these are some of the things he's getting to do, which is pretty incredible. And, uh, and so when, when he talked about coming back here to be with us, I just said, Ronnie, we can't afford you anymore, man. Like, we can't do that. And he just said, listen, you were inviting me to come to Summit before I ever went to NASA, you know, before I ever had the big opportunities that I've gotten. He said, some people are only inviting me because of that stuff. And he said, so I'm always going to have time to come and, you know, coach you guys and be around you guys. And so we're very fortunate to have uh, relationships like this. And uh, it's what a genuine guy and great heart. So I appreciate Ronnie very much. Feel free to look at his resources. If there's something, uh, whether paid or free resource, that's a help for you or your team, take advantage of it. Um, 
And like I said, I love Ronnie. I love his heart. So anything else we want to talk about before our time is up tonight, before we close out? I was hoping I could ask him this, but... Yeah, you're stuck with me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you can answer this really <laughs> okay. well, actually. Okay. So, like, one of the things I wanted to ask him was, he was talking a lot about continual innovation and sort of always being willing to adapt. Uh, and so I wanted to know how he and how you tell the difference between positive trends and negative trends and how you know when to adapt versus when to push back against a cultural shift. Gosh, what a great question that is. You should have asked him that. I would have loved to hear what he had to say. Um, I think, you know, he talked a little bit about knowing who you are, and I think that's a big part of that, knowing who you are, who you're supposed to be. Because if, you, if you're not... If you don't have a good sense of who you are as an organization or as a leader, then you're going to be pushed when those cultural forces come your way. And so I think that starts with just knowing who you are, who you're supposed to be, who's God, who God's called you to be as a leader or as an organization, whatever it is. And that really helps kind of set the tone, I believe. Uh, and, then, and then I think as those cultural shifts come your way, that's where you have to go, okay, hey, is this helping us move in the direction we feel like we're supposed to go? Or is this pushing us in the wrong direction? Um, but I think that's a really hard, that's something really hard to navigate because if we're going to be honest, I love, I love movies. Like I go to movies regularly and I would say I'm a cinephile. Like I love movies. Uh, AMC is going to, they're going to uh, file chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. And it's because um, they have doubled down on movie going experiences over and over and over instead of trying to adapt. They failed to recognize the power of Netflix and all the streaming services and the power of the studios to take it direct to consumers instead of going through the theater systems. And now they're, they're hemorrhaging money um, and it's, this crisis has just accelerated. What was already in motion is that they would not uh, adjust to what was going on in the culture. And, and so there's something to be said for understanding who you are and who you're not. And then there's something about just being stubborn and going, nope, this is who I am. And I'm going to die this way if, you know, and I'd rather die this way than change and be something different. And so I think it's something harder to navigate than what we think it is. Because we always see somebody else do that and we go, no, we're good. I would never do that. And then, you know, uh, Cinemark is going to make it probably because they're not leveraged as much as as uh, AMC is, but a Cinemark's still dealing with the same cultural issues, but they're just better positioned to, to weather that stuff. Does that make sense? And so I think for us, it's the same thing. I think it's knowing who we are and knowing where we want to be long-term helps us weather some of that stuff. So um, let me pray for you, and then we'll uh, get out of here. Lord, thank you for the great word from Ronnie tonight. Lord, I pray that... Um, that each of us would be able to take away at least one nugget, something that's going to help us grow our leadership, be stretched, think differently, lead better, whatever it might be. So God, I pray that you would just help something sink in. I pray that, that whatever seed was scattered would find good soil in our hearts and in our minds. And I pray that it would help us develop our leadership gifting. So God, minister in us tonight. I pray as we leave here, as we go to work tomorrow, as we go to our offices, school, whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that you'd open up doors of opportunities for us to lead better than ever before. So God, thank you for what you're doing, and I pray your blessing on us tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. But you guys have a great night. We'll see you this weekend.